Coming to you this week from New York City, after visiting Philadelphia, Boston and Washington DC in tow with a departing Taoiseach, I'm Gavin Riley, and that was the week. Obviously, this week's episode is a little different. Instead of being fully up to speed with what's going on at home, it's been a slightly different experience as Enda Kenny does the usual, and it has to be said, fairly gruelling jaunt across the US spreading the Irish gospel. It's been minus 10 degrees in some parts, by the way, so please forgive me for sounding slightly more nasal than usual. Um, Although it's a tad uh, of a new regime here in the United States, a new party, new president, uh, definitely what you might call new politics, it is funny how some things stay the same. Now, the travelling press coming here wondered whether the usual format of the Taoiseach's visit would still apply. Usually there's a breakfast thrown in his honour by the Vice President, then the hour-long meeting in the Oval, then a lunch in his honour with the Speaker of Capitol Hill, and then a return to the White House for the reception in honour of the Taoiseach, who he presents the Crystal Bowl. It's fairly manic stuff, and in all honesty, sometimes under Obama, you got the sense that America found it all a little bit tiresome. Does the President really have to devote an hour in the morning and another full evening to meeting the same guy every year? I mean, many world leaders barely get one meeting with the President inside four years, and he gets two inside four hours. But despite Trump's new broom, it has still been the same old, same old. In fact, this year's regime actually included more media opportunities. For the first time, Trump allowed cameras in to film the moment that they met for the first time, and again for the arrivals at the Shamrock reception. But that is all for later. First, we have to go back to Philadelphia, where the Taoiseach kicked off the week with a somewhat surprising announcement. The key theme that emerged from submissions received during the development of Ireland's diaspora policy was the importance of voting rights for many Irish citizens who live abroad. Many members of that diaspora felt it would be important to allow them to deepen their relationship with Ireland and to play a more active role in Irish society. This is something with which I absolutely agree. And that is why here at this memorial in Philadelphia, the memory of all those who went before us, that I'm pleased to announce today that the Irish government has decided that Irish citizens resident outside our country, including in Northern Ireland, should be allowed to vote in Irish presidential elections. This is a referendum that's been on the cards for some time. It was recommended by the Constitutional Convention way back in 2013, and the Taoiseach had already said he'd asked the junior minister for the diaspora, Joe McHugh, to look into the nuts and bolts of how it might happen. But there'd been no word of an announcement on this until only a few minutes before he made the speech. Taking questions from us afterwards, however, Enda Kenny made it clear exactly what kind of timetable was on offer. Government last week agreed that we should extend voting rights to emigrants in the Irish diaspora, including Northern Ireland, um, and that we would do that in time not for the next presidential election, but for the one after that in 2025. But nonetheless, the idea of opening up the presidential vote to citizens worldwide is an interesting one. And while passed by an overwhelming majority at the Constitutional Convention, it hasn't necessarily been thrashed out in full. So we asked Joe McHugh, who is still the point man on the scheme, how many people might now get to vote. You're talking about, you know, you're including outside the states, so for Northern Ireland, 1.8 million. You're talking about another 1.8 million uh, citizens, potential citizens uh, internationally. So, you know, that's 3.6. So you're talking, you're talking big numbers here. Now, the 3.6 million figure doesn't immediately hold up to that much scrutiny because firstly, while there are 1.8 million in the north, that includes children who wouldn't be voting and not necessarily every unionist would have any interest in an Irish vote because they'd have to claim Irish citizenship. 
citizenship, although due to Brexit, many are already doing so anyway. But it does mean that potentially there might be more people voting in a presidential election from outside the state than within it. And when I tweeted the news, immediately the response at home was largely negative. With a regular push for a referendum on abortion and a whole myriad of other issues outstanding from the Constitution, like blasphemy, the role of women in the home, it seemed a little odd to be putting this one at the top of the queue. So I asked the Taoiseach, why? There are others like blasphemy and the, uh, you know, the, the importance of, of, the, of, of the work of, of women, uh, referred to gender equality in the, uh, in the uh, European Council last week. But of the range of um, constitutional referenda that have been recommended, in my view, votes for immigrants um, and the deliberations that will follow the Citizens' Assembly in respect of the Eighth Amendment are ones that would, be, would receive priority. And, well, that was that. He might not be hanging around forever, but if that's what the Taoiseach wants to do, well, he is still the Taoiseach. 100 to 102 Today FM. The night before the announcement of the referendum, Kenny had set the tone for his week by outlining what's a fairly predictable priority for an Irish Prime Minister visiting this part of the world. He told the friendly sons of St. Patrick in Philadelphia, one of those old-school Irish gangs built up of Irish-Americans, some of whom have never set foot in Ireland until a year or two ago, the group was entirely male. He told that group that one of his absolute priorities was to make progress on the fate of the undocumented Irish. Now, a funny thing happens when we talk about those 50,000 people or so. We constantly refer to them as undocumented, when a better claim would be that they are illegal. They're people who have outstayed their visas, and while they work and pay taxes, and most of them live peacefully, they can't ever visit home because they'd be turned away on re-entry to America. Now, there are 11 million people in the United States in a similar situation, and part of Trump's election platform was to clamp down on this, raising the prospect of mass deportations. So you'd then think that when the Taoiseach left Philadelphia for Boston had a meeting with the son of Aaron, a second-generation Irishman, Marty Walsh, Boston's mayor who claims to speak fluent Irish, he would have got a fairly warm reception. And while he did, Walsh did puncture Kenny's hopes straight away. Uh, I'm a proud uh, son of Irish immigrants, uh, but I would not be supportive of, of rules and regulations that just benefit people that are undocumented or Irish. Uh, we need a comprehensive... Uh, piece of legislation. Uh, we need some, some, some clarity uh, for all immigrants, uh, all undocumented immigrants. Um, you know, when you think of uh, Boston, we are a, a multicultural city um, that is doing very well in the scope of the economy and, and all the indications shows are doing well. But as mayor of the city of Boston, I represent all of the, fo- all of the people in our city, and that means all of the different countries that are represented here. So uh, I couldn't support something that just benefited one country. And that's probably totally right, but obviously a bit of a blow if Kenny is suddenly going from helping 50,000 Irish to 11 million from across the world. Enda admitted as much, but also hoped that he'd keep playing the Irish card. I made the point I don't agree with blanket bans on on, uh, immigrants coming to to any country. Uh, Clearly, uh, Ireland's had a very long engagement with the United States over the last 200 years, and the contribution made by Irish immigrants and and their their descendants uh, speaks for itself. Mayor and I have discussed this already. But I think it's important that, that we both agree that in respect of, of the situation that you have now with 11 million undocumented people living in the United States, that what is needed here is a, is a pathway to reform. And we've discussed how that might actually apply. By the way, Marty Walsh's Irish isn't as great as he claimed. Thank you, my ship. <laughs> Thank well, you. Come on. We, we will say it together. It's, it's law Ela Fadrig G of Galea. Law Ayla Fadrig Giagalea. Law Ayla Fadrig Giagalea. That's not the kind of Mara Gaelic. Thank you.
and immediately went off for a meeting with the governor of Massachusetts, but that ended up being the last thing he did in Boston. He was supposed to attend an event at the JFK Library that night and then spend most of the next day in Providence, Rhode Island. But that was all planned before winter storm Stella. The day we were in Boston was minus 10 degrees with a wind chill that made it feel like minus 18. That was before a blizzard that was set to dump up to two feet of snow across the northeast of the United States. So there was only one thing for it. We had to leave early. And so the Taoiseach and his delegation and the press pack following him boarded a pair of trains from Boston to Washington that took all of seven hours. It meant arriving in Washington a day early and a suddenly light schedule for the Taoiseach. But while we were on the train watching out for the storm... Back at home in much calmer weather, the tragedy of Rescue 116 was unfolding. The next day, the Taoiseach paid tribute. Good morning. I learned late last night of the, of the uh, lack of communication with uh, Rescue 116 and to hear the tragic news this morning. And on behalf of the government, I want to I- issue our deepest sympathy uh, in respect of the family of Captain Dara Fitzpatrick and the search continues uh, arising from this particular tragedy. The Irish Coast Guard have been exceptionally professional and competent in their work over many years. And last year alone, over 2,500 uh, incidents were directed by the Irish Coast Guard. I know this area well uh, off the coast of Black Sod. And obviously the rescue uh, agencies are now uh, coordinating uh, their search in the locality, assisted by the Ballyglass lifeboat, the Ackill lifeboat, uh, and local fishermen, obviously Gardaí and the Defence Forces are in, uh, are in the area. I've spoken to the Minister for Transport early this morning and to the Chief of Staff of the Defence Forces. Uh, so the search continues and on behalf of Government again we pay our, our respects to the um, family of Thara Fitzpatrick and the search continues for other uh, crew members. Clearly uh, the in, uh, analysis and investigation into this we we'll want to uncover uh, what exactly happened uh, in respect of the lack of communications and loss of uh, contact uh, with uh, Rescue Helicopter 116. As many Today FM listeners might already know, Captain Dara Fitzpatrick was the sister of our long-time agony aunt, Nia Fitzpatrick. We are all heartbroken for her loss. May Dara rest in peace. 100 to 102 Today FM. Eventually, the formal Washington schedule kicked off the next day, starting with a business promotion lunch at the oppressive Institute of Peace building. One colleague noted that while it is devoted to peace, ironically, all of the pictures inside it are of soldiers. It is a massive building with a huge front-facing window that opens onto the Lincoln Memorial, which actually had to be closed off with blinds when we visited because it was extra bright outside given the snowfall. We honestly would have been blinded. Uh, In the middle of giving the speech there, the Taoiseach's second speech of the day landed in our inboxes. That was going to be delivered later that night at the annual Black Tie Ireland Funds dinner. And immediately the whispers started amongst the journalists because buried in the middle of the speech, which was under embargo until the moment he delivered it, was a line about how this would be his final trip to Washington as Taoiseach. That would be the first formal acknowledgement from the Taoiseach that his tenure was coming to an end. And given the timing of the speech, it would almost certainly be the top line in any newspaper or bulletin the following morning, the first day, the day itself, of his visit to the White House. Now, it was hardly any secret that Kenny was going. Many would have rightly batted their eyelids and said the story was insignificant. But an hour later, just before the Taoiseach was due to speak to the media again, an updated speech was issued, and the line was taken out. And almost as if to draw further attention to it, the second one had a disclaimer to ignore the first in red, bold, underlined, capital letters. So when we did speak to the Taoiseach, we had to ask, what's the story? Well, the speech that you got is not the speech I'm delivering tonight. 
That's why. And I've already explained uh, to my own parliamentary party uh, my intention uh, and how I, would, how I intend to go about that. Why did you take it out of the speech? Why was it there and then taken out? Because, because it shouldn't have been in there. Me. And that was that. When the speech was delivered that night, there was no such line. In fact, the valedictory tone altogether had been removed. But there were two speeches that night which did raise some eyebrows. The first was this possibly throwaway comment from the guest of honour, Vice President Mike Pence. I bring greetings tonight from my friend, the leader of the free world, the 45th President of the United States, and to the Taoiseach, I would say, as he'll find out, a guy who likes to play golf in Ireland, President Donald Trump. He was there, by the way, because, as we had heard several times throughout the week, his grandfather, Richard Michael Coley, one of a family of six, had left Tubber Curry in Sligo to land at Ellis Island on April 11th, 1923. That was a clear hint, if one wasn't already being planned, that Trump would be expecting an invite the following day. The other came in the middle of a lengthy but really quite brilliant speech from former Senator George Mitchell, another guest of honour, who was there in honour of his achievements in brokering the Good Friday Agreement. And while Mike Pence sat there politely listening... Apple was created by Steve Jobs, whose father was born in Syria. Amazon was created by Jeff Bezos, whose adoptive father was born in Cuba. And a co-founder of Google was Sergey Brin, who himself was born in Russia. Genius knows no language, no race, no religion. It can be found wherever human beings exist, but it is more likely to flourish where there is freedom, education, and opportunity for all, where innovation is encouraged and success is applauded and celebrated, and a place like America is where that exists. Kenny might well have been taking notes because he would go on to use a similar tactic. But before we would properly appreciate it the following day, we would be in the Oval Office when we learned Donald Trump would be visiting after all. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. I do. Love Ireland. I love it. I really love Ireland. Uh, I'll be there. Absolutely. Have you invited the, have you invited the president to teach at Ireland? Uh, during the course of his presidency. During the course of his presidency, he will be there. Yeah, I will. Although that question had been shouted by Katrina Perry from RTE, it was clear that an invite was coming. Kenny told us as much afterwards. I said to him, you know, in Ireland, invitations are always returned uh, and, and returned in kind. And so, uh, during the course of his presidency here in the United States, um, I've asked him to come to Ireland, and he hopes to do that sometime during the course of his presidency. That's obviously been getting some negative publicity at home, and no doubt we'll come back to that at a later time. But we also asked if he had raised Trump's controversial travel ban. Uh, we, we discussed in a very constructive fashion the relationships between Ireland and the United States. Ireland is a microcosm of the European Union relations between Europe and the United States for the mutual benefit of millions of people on either side of the Atlantic. And in that context, I see real potential for a revised uh, trade negotiation for the time ahead. You'll notice that although he said yes, the Taoiseach answered a separate question entirely. But what else had been raised? For those who are undocumented uh, among the many millions in America who are undocumented, the President was actually surprised at the figure um, I, think, I think he might have thought that that might have been a higher figure. Uh, and he made the point, uh, when I referred to this, of the speech that he gave Donald Felix, Arizona, 
where he pointed out, first of all, about border security, secondly, about criminals being apprehended, um, and thirdly, looking at uh, anybody else who was, in, who, was, who was here, who was undocumented. And this was interesting, because we had already dealt with how the illegal Irish is a perennial issue, and that despite his own links, Barack Obama didn't appear to have much appetite to really normalise the situation. But now suddenly there was some scope for movement. By the way, there was a bit of argy about the Oval Office itself, uh, which unusually the comments given by Taoiseach Endekenny and President Donald Trump were given before their meeting rather than afterwards. That meant that there were always going to be a bit of a scramble to try and get some comments out of the two men when they hadn't actually met yet. But a new president does always mean a higher level of interest from the travelling media. I did this tour two years ago for Barack Obama's seventh St. Patrick's Day, and there were six journalists present from Irish media. This time when the Taoiseach was in Washington, there were 25 Originally, there were only meant to be 15 allowed into the Oval Office, but the number was eventually pushed to 20 and then to 25 entirely so that nobody was left out. But for everyone allowed in from the Irish, a matching one had to be allowed from America. And on top of that, when usually we only have the Taoiseach and the President in the room, this time we had almost 15 officials. From there, it was up to Capitol Hill and a lunch thrown by Paul Ryan. I love this day. I love this event. Uh, this is the time of year where we celebrate the spirit and the splendor of a small but special island tucked in the North Atlantic. A small island generous enough to share the glorious St. Patrick and, of course, the glorious Guinness. (laughs) Clearly, the president had been impressed with what he'd heard in the Oval Office. All of our friends welcoming Tishuk. That's my new friend. This is my new friend. This is a great guy. And Fiola, you know, you are something very special. We sat, we talked, and I think we'll, we're friends now too, right? And it's really an honor. But the Taoiseach was the one who really broke ice with a bold claim. They say the Irish have the capacity to change everything. I just saw the President of the United States read from his script entirely. <laughs> I was going to say a change is coming. But. <laughs> it was almost as if the room was waiting for Trump to acknowledge the remarks before they were happy to laugh for themselves. But despite the happy tones, Kenny did make a fairly impassioned plea to Trump to reconsider the plight of illegal immigrants. This administration, working with Democrats and Republicans, I hope can sort this out once and for all. And for future years, you determine what it is that you want to do. As George Mitchell said last evening, you can't return to open immigration. But for the people who are here, who should be here, might be here, that's an issue that I'm sure your administration will reflect on. And we in Ireland will give you every assistance in that regard. There are millions out there who want to play their part for America, if you like, who want to make America great. You heard it before? You heard that before? It was a bold move, one which has since gained global coverage. If Enda Kenny had learned anything from George Mitchell, it was this. I'd just like to say in fin- finality, this is, this is what I said to, uh, to your predecessor on a number of occasions. We would like this to be sorted. It would remove a burden of so many people that they can stand out in the light and say, now I am free to contribute to America as I know I can. And that's what people want. 
But clearly Trump didn't seem too upset because far from rescinding the praise of Enda when he, they met again for the second time that evening, there was no pulling back. Great people, great people, he said. And then again for the second time, this time standing in Donald Trump's own front room, Enda Kenny issued a plea for leniency. And this very house was designed by James Hoban from Kilkenny, modelled in part on Leinster House in Dublin, where the Irish Parliament has met on our own independence since 1922. And it's fitting that we gather here each year to celebrate St. Patrick and his legacy. He too, of course, was an immigrant. And though he is, of course, the patron saint of Ireland for many people around the globe, he's also a symbol of, indeed, the patron of immigrants. There was, in the middle of this, by the way, one telling exchange. When Kenny made his comments that immigrants only wanted to make America great, Donald Trump was seen leaving over to Paul Ryan, who was sat beside him, and mouthed, we really should do something about that. To which Paul Ryan from the Kilkenny Ryans nodded vigorously. 100 to 102 Today FM. And so to the final leg of the trip in New York, where the Taoiseach marched as part of the St. Patrick's Day parade. He stopped at the corner of 55th Avenue. He stopped at the corner of 5th Avenue and 64th Street to speak to the media, where, now that the Trump visit was behind him, the question of his leadership would once again have to come up. And with apologies for the interruptions from the various NYPD marching bands, here in full, unedited, is what he said. What I've always said is that I have to deal with a number of priorities here. The first priority is to put put in place an executive uh, in Northern Ireland. We have no government, no devolved authority in Northern Ireland now. I hope that the parties who are elected will accept the responsibility of putting together an executive within the three-week period. This is fundamentally important in respect of the Brexit negotiations that are about to commence because the voice of Northern Ireland and the voices of Northern Ireland have to be heard through that executive. We've had very good engagement with them. Quite a number of sectors from Northern Ireland in the All Island um, Civic Forum that we had on two occasions, plus 14 different sectoral meetings. Now that's an immediate priority. Now uh, Prime Minister May will probably visit different parts of the United Kingdom in a non-political way before she triggers Article 50. Uh, but it's very important that we get the negotiating stance of the European Union right here, in particular uh, with relevance to the no return of a hard border the protection of the common travel area and what that means, and then the defining of um, the future relationship of the United Kingdom with the European Union. The Prime Minister has said that what she wants is as close as possible a relationship with the European so Union. We support that because... Could go on for quite some time. We may not have anything... Well, you, you, what, I, what I did say to my own party was that I would deal with this matter effectively and conclusively, and that's my intention. Could, could but I think, these, I think these are priorities that take precedence over anything else there. We can't have a situation where you have no leadership in Northern Ireland and where we have to define from a European Union point of view where Ireland would be, what the agreed um, terms of reference for the negotiations are. Having said everything you've just said there, just a straight question, then when are you going to deal with it? Well, I'm not going to answer that for you. I'll deal with my own parliamentary party. I spoke to them before I came to New York. I'm telling you now that I have a number of immediate priorities on my desk when I arrive back tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock and attempt to start work on those. And for anyone in the PP... 
But do you think people should be cleared up just that people don't get you, some sort of clarity on may the I, may, I, may I refer the question to you? Do you not think it's appropriate that the immediate priority here is to have an executive functioning in Northern Ireland? Do you not think it's appropriate that in all the work we've put together here now, that we get, a, we get a, an agreed negotiating stance for the European Union, which is going to affect everybody in our country? And so, one transatlantic flight later, back in the Today FM studios in Dublin, and what do we make of it all? Well, Kenny is right to say that there are some hurdles ahead. I mean, Brexit is obviously a big deal. It is the biggest single diplomatic and economic shock that the country might ever face. And obviously any instability for Ireland as that process gets underway is clearly a bad thing. But how many staging posts can there be? I mean, once the talks begin, does Kenny then decide that we can't change the driver in the middle of the race? We found out today on Monday that Article 50 is being triggered on Wednesday week, the 29th of March. But then how long is the formative process? And when, in the middle of that, is Kenny ready to go? No doubt we'll hear more about that when Kenny himself gets back into the swing of things domestically later this week. But as regards the trip itself, was it a success? You'd have to say it was. I mean, consider what defeats there might have been. Enda Kenny could have got a rebuke on immigration. He could have got a smackdown over the racist and dangerous comment. He could have gotten a talking to about Ireland's tax rates or about American jobs going over to Ireland. But there didn't appear to be much of that. And instead, whether you like him or not, Donald Trump appears to have been one onto Ireland's side. Consider one exchange that happened in the Oval Office over jobs and drugs. Now, the Trump regime indicated that one of their problems was that the cost of drugs was too high for American users, and they laid the blame for that at the fact that some of those drugs are manufactured offshore, including in Ireland. But Kenny's team pointed out that Ireland actually has similar price complaints about the cystic fibrosis drug, or CAMBI, and then the two agreed to put joint pressure on both manufacturers on both sides of the water. Now, had Enda Kenny not taken up that invite... Trump instead would have gone chasing Pfizer jobs in Grange Castle or elsewhere in Ireland. Ireland might have lost those jobs, but it might not have solved any problems. Instead, because they went into the room, they are now both on side and there is slightly less of a prospect of those jobs maybe end up going back to America. There was also, by the way, a keen effort to some degree to bypass Trump and to use the Irish-American people around him, the likes of Kellyanne Conway, Steve Bannon, Sean Spicer, General Michael Kelly, even the Vice President himself, Mike Pence, to use them as proxies. And if they can be won on side, then Trump is so easily influenced by his inner circle that he could be won over too. And so if the purpose of the visit was to make sure that Ireland gets a foot in the door with the new regime, at the very least, then this was a roaring success. I'll leave with two final observations. Firstly, when Angela Merkel made a visit to Donald Trump the following day, including the awkward non-handshake and all, the whole visit was barely two hours. Enda Kenny got nearly a day of Donald Trump's time, and he'll get it again next year if he wants it, and again the year after. And far from being scaled back, this programme only gets more and more busy every year. They keep adding more and more things to Enda Kenny's schedule. He keeps getting more and more time with more and more American leaders. He now has a guaranteed meeting with the Speaker of the House of Representatives every year and a breakfast with the Vice President. They are not raining down this programme. Enda Kenny is getting more and more access. And secondly, we may not like the guy in the Oval Office. But if we appreciate America's power in the world, then keeping a hotline to the man in the middle of it is no bad idea at all. Enda Kenny might be on his way out the door, and if someone else takes over and they want to tear up the relationship between Ireland and the USA, they are free to do that. But at the very least, Enda Kenny has taken something which could have been toxic and left it in a very good place for the next guy. And for that, he ought to be recognised.
100 to 102 Today FM And that's it We'll be back next weekend No doubt with more About Enda Kenny's future And Brexit And everything else Going on in Ireland In the meantime Gav at todayfm.com Is the place for your feedback Thank you very much For listening See you next week I'm Gavin Riley, And that was the week